Welcome to the Premium Property Podcast. Created by two beginners, it is the perfect listen for those of you who are just finding your feet in the property industry. We will ask questions that other beginners, just like us, have been waiting to hear, and we will be learning along with you. I'm Harley. And I'm Guy. And this is the Premium Property Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Premium Property Podcast and today we have Rick aka Property Pig on the podcast and this is an amazing episode for you guys. We touch on building a business during the recession in 2008, how you can apply this to 2019. We touch on how to estimate GDVs accurately and get on the good side of the valuer and we also touch on how to juggle a property business with a family. So this is a great one if you're just getting started because Rick has such a wide range of expertise and without further ado I'm going to stop speaking and let's jump straight into it. It feels like we've been meaning to get you on for ages Rick so it's a pleasure to have you on and welcome. Yeah hi guys thanks for having me on. No problem so tell us a bit about yourself and your background before property. Yeah so um, I guess uh, going back quite a way now um, as you can probably tell from my accent, Lancashire lad, uh, originally grew up on a place called the Fylde Coast, um, moved uh, down to London after university, so probably got into property around about 2004, 2005, and that was with uh, an estates management degree. Um, after I'd done a degree in economics, I did uh, a master's course in estates management, so um that was a one-year course down in London, and then uh, got on a graduate scheme with um, a large global uh, real estate services provider, and they—that's um, where I did the on-the-job on training to become a, a charter surveyor. So, um, but that was all sort of bubbling along quite nicely, and then uh, the credit crunch came in uh, 2007-2008. Uh, and that's when I had a bit of a change of direction and still stayed in property, but then moved on to uh, setting up my own business, which is um, that business is still going today. And that's uh, all to do with energy efficiency and sustainability of buildings. So, um, yeah, uh, now live up in Yorkshire. Uh, but as of, you know, all you need these days is a decent Wi-Fi connection and, uh, and you know, I can get down to London if I need to in a couple of hours and traveling around on the road so um yeah all, all seems to work pretty well yeah awesome so obviously you said that you studied economics before um you did your estate management do, um masters was yeah. that were you always interested in property or was that what really ignited it yeah i suppose um yeah i don't know when the exact time i would have been interested in property i suppose uh like family members had, had invested in buy to lets and, um, uh, you know, I knew, I knew about property in, in, from that respect, but nothing, nothing more than that, really. Uh, the, the economics thing, I, uh, probably, I did it at school for A level and then, um, and then did a degree in it, but it was really, there was no sort of real plan or thought on what I was going to do with that afterwards. And then towards the end of the degree, it was just like, what, what do we do? And what, you know, you've, you've gone down this conveyor belt of getting your exams, getting your degrees, and then you've got to find a job. So, um, 
yeah, spoke to just spoke to mates and spoke to friends and and sort of people who had older you know older siblings who were in who were working and and uh, the whole surveying thing really sort of appealed to me. Um, it's a real people's business, as you as you probably know, like with property, it's it's all about uh, relationships and um, you know communicating well with people and and uh, that really appealed to me. So. Um, yeah, that's that's when I signed up and got got on the the estates estates uh, the estates management course and um, and went from there. So, yeah, um, I, I guess it's investing personally didn't really start till about two thousand and sort of twelve two thousand and thirteen. I, I managed to get on the property ladder um, back in sort of 07, 2007, and I rented out the second bedroom as a lot of people do but apart from that yeah probably you know i wish i'd got into a lot earlier so like what you guys are doing um get into it straight away and then you're not messing around yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um obviously you mentioned that you started in investing in obviously 2013 2012 so in terms of what you're doing now in property um would you be able to explain like what what it is that you're doing currently yeah, so uh, currently, probably time is split 50-50 at the moment between running the property services business, which is uh, energy efficiency, sustainability, and that's predominantly with commercial property. So uh, we do a lot of, a lot of our clients are sort of institutions, sort of pension funds, insurance companies, um, big prop codes and they they have their portfolios that need when they when they sell a building or they're or they're letting a building out they need certain compliance certain certificates uh, we also advise on uh, refurbishments like how to make their buildings uh, more energy efficient and how to do that for the for the um you know for the for the, the most in the most cost effective way uh, so that's that's a huge part of what we do now there's this whole thing called uh, ESG which is to do with environmental uh, and social governance, which is all to do with uh, just bringing the whole thing together uh, from a social point of view, how to run businesses better, and also how to how to help the environment. So that's just getting bigger and bigger. Um, but then the other half uh, is property investment, and that's that's my own personal personal thing as well. So that's a, essentially growing, trying to grow a property portfolio. Generally speaking. Uh, buy and hold so if it's a, a straight buy to let just buy in a good area rent it out holds very straightforward um, and then we're also doing projects so in the last last two or three projects have been uh, HMOs so uh, houses of multiple occupant occupation uh, where you know buying a, a terrace house converting it into anywhere between four and six beds so it's on permitted development um, and I've got one project back on site just now and that's going to be a four bed that's in Sheffield um, recently finished one uh, not far from there it's a five bed um, and we're just getting that let out at the moment obviously being pretty challenging with with everything going on with Covid but we're getting there um, and then another one in Leeds so they're like the last sort of three projects that I've done in the last couple of years um, going back a little bit further, um, done a commercial to resi project as well, which is uh, sort of what I'm what I'm looking at to do next. So yeah, pl plenty going on. Um, just trying to navigate through these sort of weird and uncertain times. Yeah, definitely it is a is a very weird time. Um, 
I don't know if this podcast will be released after lockdown's over, but yeah, it will definitely be interesting to look back on for sure. Yes. So um, you mentioned to us before that you've got a wife and three quid, three, three kids, which I can yeah. imagine is obviously pretty stressful during lockdown. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what tips do you have for someone who's maybe looking at getting into property and keeping a good work-life balance between your family and obviously working on your business? Yeah. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> still trying to find the answer. <laughs> um, no, I think... I, I think the, the big the big bit is communication so just making sure that you've um that you communicate what you're doing and and like when you're going to be doing it obviously when you're starting your own business you kind of as you guys will know you've got to you've got to do like whatever it takes to get that business off the ground and and sometimes you can't control when that's going to happen or when you're going to need to do something sometimes you just have to drop everything and and just go and do something so it just it just has to be done at that moment in time so um i suppose yeah having that being able to have that situation where it's flexible um letting your partner know that 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 could be the case i mean i i i started my business when i was when i was just when i was single living in a in a flat in london so i could literally just do whatever I wanted, you know, I could do whatever I wanted when I wanted to do it. Whereas now, you know, I've got to be, be a lot more considerate, but managed to build up the business in a certain way so that it's, it doesn't put pressure on home life as much. I try and reserve weekends for family and, and that's, that's really important to me. But I suppose like the best thing about running your own business is that you can be flexible. I'm, I'm not having to get up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning to get on a, a train somewhere to be in the office for, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock, or whatever, and then coming home late at night, I can, you know, I can take the kids to school, I can pick them up, um, you know, I can help out here and there. So I guess it's just it's finding that balance of of you know being able to help out where you can, but then I think as long as you've got a partner that understands that you do need to, you are going to sometimes just need to just go somewhere or do something, then that that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And would you say it's important to sort of get that established early on with your partner to say like I may be working long hours um yeah just it, yeah just be open about it you can, that's all you can do and, and I think involve them in it as well like if you can you know you've got a, a project going on or you're going to go and see some houses or, or something or you've got to go and do something on a Saturday because also you know sometimes you've got to you've got to do things at weekends like if they're if they're interested, they might they might not be interested, but you know, take bring them along, show them show them what you're doing. I think when someone can visualise and see physically what what you're doing, it makes it makes things a lot easier down the line. So, um, yeah, they're interested, get them involved. And there's also there's, I mean, there's so many diff- as you know, there's so many different things to property that they could be interested in, whether it's you know on the build side, the sourcing side, or it could be to do with interiors. So there's there's something for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Just sort of don't leave them out I guess and help yeah. them to understand it more than anything yeah yeah definitely definitely and um, so you mentioned to us before that you are a uh, chartered chartered surveyor sorry so for anyone listening who isn't too common of what they do would you be able to explain what it is you do yeah so uh, I suppose it, well the term surveyor gets sort of used I mean it's like because it's such a broad term because it covers so many different different things. I think for 
people in property, um, sort of in the residential side of things, people uh, associate a surveyor being someone who comes around and does that um, that building survey or the, the home buyer's report before you buy a property. Um, but really, a surveyor can anyone can call themselves a surveyor because it's such a broad a broad term. I mean, you've got three different types, really. I suppose in terms of this construction, um, you've got general land and then you've got property so uh, on the construction side that might be a building surveyor who would be involved in um, maybe maintenance repairs they, they might be involved in refurbishment projects project management uh, quantity surveyors are people who would look at a property um, project and sort of cost it up and manage manage that process throughout the whole project uh, so they make sure that everything's being costed up properly um, on the land side, that could be anything to do with environmental stuff. It could be um, it could be rural, related to rural uh, rural land, um, geomatics, and then property. It's sort of like the general term for property is uh, sort of valuations, uh, investment uh, agency, um, letting agencies. So you know, buying and selling and renting out properties for clients. So it covers, and that's that's not even touched all the all the sides. So that's basically the whole, you know, the, the spectrum is is massive. So this again, you can you can go into something um, and specialize straight away, or you can sort of keep an open mind. Like my path is sort of, I went in in a in sort of the property generalized in a general sort of way initially, doing valuations on commercial property, uh, and did a bit of development and investment stuff. Uh, but then really sort of as I've set up my own business, I've gone down sort of more sort of building surveying um, and envir- environmental. But it's um yes, yeah, so you can go, you know, you can go any any routes, any routes you want, but um yeah, it covers a whole range of, of different aspects of property. No, yeah, definitely. And then why would you say a surveyor is important when it does come to a property investment? Yeah, I, I think obviously really important. I would I would say that being one, um, but um, yeah, they. I mean, it all depends on the type of investment that you're doing and the type of project. I, I guess if you're um, if you're if you're buying a house and you're just going to rent that out, you might be doing some light refurbishment works. The only surveyor that you're probably going to come into contact with there is your you, your building surveyor, who would who would do the home buyer's report or the or the building survey. Um, if, you, if you decide to get one, uh, and then you've got your um, evalu- you know, there'll be a valuation at some point, so that there would be a valuation surveyor. Um, I think as projects go uh, get bigger, more complex, so sort of bigger, bigger refurbishment projects, development projects. That's when you know you've got to bring in a whole host of different types of surveyors. Like I said before, quantity surveyors, um, building surveyors. There's could be related to planning, so you have different surveyors in, in relation to that. Um, your, your valuations are going to be a bit more complex. There's different different people to bring in there. So yeah, I think it's it's really important. You probably it's not like they're not people that you might you, you may have if you're doing lots of projects. You might have them in your your close power team, but they generally speaking they would they would just come in as and when um, they're needed, um, and they they might come through a referral from someone in the process, or you, like you say, you might be able to go and do your own. Do your own research and, and find find them yourself. So, yeah, it's it's varied. Yeah, and then um, on the topic of that, then can 
Can someone do a survey by themselves or do they have to like bring someone else in or would it depend on, like you were saying before, the project that was doing it? So if it's just a normal buy to let, can someone themselves do that? Whereas if it's a large development, would they have to get a special team in? Yeah, I think, I mean, my, my advice would be, yes, you can, you can do your own surveys as in, you know, if you, if you get educated and, um, and effectively become self-qualified. Uh, the issue that you have is that um, a you might miss something. Um, you, you're you're not going to know everything, so it's it's you know there's the, there's the risk there of, of getting it wrong or or something something going wrong further down the line that you didn't account for. So my my advice would always be to to get a professional who who is qualified in that area, just so that you have that peace of mind, but also um there's the recourse as well if something does go wrong a, a qualified charter surveyor will have uh the correct professional indemnity insurance which means that um if something goes wrong and you need to claim against them then then they're covered um and you, you know you'll, you'll hopefully you'll get the money um you know the insurance money to, to pay for the, for the problems or the comp or to be compensated um you know, they as a charter survey you need to have a complaints handling procedure. So that is, it's it's like when you you guys are being, you know, you qualifying to become property sources, you've got to have a complaints handling procedure so that people know where, what you know, if, if they have a problem, where did they go? Are you a mem- You know, are you associated with a property ombudsman or um, one of the other uh, sort of complaint handling um, outfits? But yeah, so you kind of. It just means that you've got the peace of mind. You know that you're using someone who's qualified, um, and there's the recourse issue as well if something does go wrong. So I, I yeah, you can do it yourselves. I've got friends who are who are builders and um, and have got really good experience, and they they feel like they're comp- they they will go when they're buying a property, they will go and do it themselves. But then they feel like they're probably more qualified than than a, than a, than an average building surveyor. So yeah, it all depends on the different situation. Work out what your your knowledge gaps are and if, if you're unsure about something then yeah definitely bring in bring in the professional yeah i guess it's i guess it's kind of all down to experience as well like you were saying if you're just starting then it's probably not the best thing to do yeah sure sure and then um for someone who is looking for a surveyor how would they go about finding a good one and if so what kind of questions would you be asking them yeah so i think um again the rics which is the uh, Royal Institution of Charter Surveyors. Um, when you qualify as a charter surveyor, that's you, you. You become a member of the RICS, and your details, your contact details, will go on their website, and they they, they basically have a directory of firms and surveyors who can operate, and it's geographically organised. Um, it's organised by skill set and specialisms, so you can. You can specifically look for if you, if you need evaluation or if you need a, a quantity surveyor or a building surveyor, you can actually go on the website, type in type in what you need, where you need it, and it'll literally give the list of all the people and all the firms in that area. And then it's just a case of uh, calling those people up and finding out, uh, you know, what what their experience is, discuss the projects and what you need them for, and try and get a feel uh, if they're the right sort of person. Ask them about if they've done anything similar previously and, you know, have, have they had any problems? What, you know, or, you know, what, just ask any questions that you think might be relevant to, to your situation. 
Um, but if they are, if they're chartered, they then they they should have all the correct insurances. But you can ask them about that if you if you want to. Um, but yeah, the first port of call would be I'd, I'd go on the RICS website. Yeah, definitely. I guess that's just like a a symbol of trust and reliability, if anything. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you touched on the fact that you obviously did um, valuations when you worked as a surveyor so from that sort of perspective then when someone is getting a valuation done for a remortgage for example how would you so what tips would you give for them to sort of get on the good side of the surveyor essentially yeah 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 um yeah so i've from from my experience of when i've uh you know met the valuer on site um I've had some absolute shockers. I've got I've got names wrong. Um, I've you know I've introduced myself and then and said, oh, you must be so and so, and I've got I've got the name wrong, and and then it's just like you can just see their face just drop, and you, you you've got off to a bad start straight away, and you're just constantly trying to sort of rebuild that. But I think although it is good to have that first impression um, and try and build a rapport with them, there's not a huge amount you can you can really do to because you. You know, you're not there to influence them. They're independent. They are. Um, they're there to do a, a job that they've been instructed to do by the bank. Not. They're not. They're not from you. So, you know, they're doing it for the bank's purposes to make sure that the property is is uh, is is of the is of the, the right value for what they're lending on. So, really, I guess it's just trying to make the process as smooth as possible. Um, people talk about. And I have done it where you can provide a valuation pack, which can give evidence of uh, comparable evidence, um, local local sales that have taken place in the last three three to six months, uh, and that that can give them a bit of help on on steer. The problem you've got is that if you then come across as being too pushy, you know you you know don't walk in there, don't shove a piece of paper in front of them and say here here are the comparables. This is what you should be using for your you know, for your valuation, it's, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of see, see if it's something that they would, they, you know, ask them if it's something that you can give them. And if they seem open to it, then just, yeah, give them, give them to them at the end of the end of the survey. And then they may never look at it or they might have a look at it. And it might be really useful. I've, I've definitely had situations where they've not used it and they've just completely ignored what's been in there. Um, where, but I've had situations where, where I think it has helped and, um, I mean, you never you never know whether it has helped or, or not, but it, if you do it in the right way, it can't it can't do any harm. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Wait and see, wait and see when you get there. I think is the is the answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I forgot what I was gonna. Oh yeah. So when someone is like estimating their um, final GDV for their own figures, um, yeah. what sort of tips do you have for them to make it the most accurate and is there any like um websites specifically that you use right yeah so is this when so if you if we were doing a, a refurb or uh, a conversion of something or and we were, we're working out what it's going to be valued at at the end yeah 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 so um it's again i suppose it's, you get to know you get yeah, more of a feel for stuff as you, as in you know the more you do the 
that you get a better understanding of the local market. So, you know, if you're doing, if you're looking at flips or you're looking at um, terraced houses, you, you're going to know that once you've done one on that street, as long as it's within a certain period of time, the it's going to be very similar if it's the same sort of property, same sort of layout, same size, etc. Um, you're going to know that that is, is going to, you, or you're going to know what the value is, the GDV. Um, I suppose really your, the GDV is, you're trying to think what it's going to be or work out what it's going to be in the future. Um, so you've, you've got to really, I, I always try and sort of look at three scenarios. So you, you look at your, your realistic scenario, which is what you think it's going to be. Um, I'd look at a, a, a good scenario where it's, where it's better than that. And then I'd also look at another one, which is, which is negative and that, so you, so you're running basically what's called a sensitivity analysis. And that can be because the, the, you don't quite get the rent that you, you needed or, um, or the, the market may have dropped in that area. So the actual property prices fall. um, you know, there's always different fact. There's lots of different factors that, that can, can impact on a, on a GDV. Um, but, yeah, I, I suppose really, in terms of websites, I, I, it's more just finding out what, what's happening in the local market. So, can you can you go on on the if you're doing residential property, can you go on the on the portals, you know, your Zooplas and your Right Moves, and, and try and see what's sold in those areas? You're going to have to pick up the phone and speak to agents and try and find try and find out what's what's happening in that area. Um, you know, in terms of uh, sort of, sort of bigger projects where you're doing where you might have to bring in a, you know, on a commercial building, for example, the valuation process for those is completely different. So it's, it's often it's done on a, what's called a yield valuation. So they'll, they'll basically get the rent and they'll capitalize that by a multiplier and that, that will then get your rent value. And those sort of yields change um, depending on what's going on with the market. So, but the people that will know, will have that information and know what's going on are the local agents. Um, so that's, it's, going back to what I was saying before about it being a people's business, it's just making sure that you have those really good relationships. Um, even if you haven't got anything going on at that time, you know, just pick up the phone, let them know that you're there, find out what's going on. And then hopefully over time you, you build that, you build that knowledge base so that, you know, after a while you don't necessarily have to go back to them every single time. You roughly know within a certain, certain range, what the end value is going to be. Um, but you've, you've also got to be prepared that, you know, as with, what's happening at the moment with COVID um, the market could change and, you know, you've got to factor in a down, you know, down valuations, certainly in the short term, but and who knows even when or what it'll, it'll look like in six months, 12 months time. But yeah, you just got to sort of bring it in, make sure you've got all your different, um, your different sort of scenarios, good, bad and realistic. And hopefully if the, if the bad one is still, still works for you, then, you know, it looks like it should be a good investment, but um, yeah, it's not. There's no, there's no real straight answer. Hope, hope that's, hope that's helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that is the case with valuations anyway, because um, it's not purely based on opinion, but um, it is sort of subjective in a sense, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's subjective. Is you know, we've we've got we're coming into a situation now where where valuations are going to be taking place but no transactions of of you know the transaction levels are completely down so you know valuers haven't actually got any evidence to base their evaluations on so they've they've got to try and work out 
what the best way of valuing a property is. And unfortunately, they're probably going to factor in something negative, in the, certainly in the short term. Hopefully, once transactions start picking up again, and you know, there's, there's I've heard stories out there where property prices haven't decreased. They've, you know, there's, there's still transactions happening, and um, and they're still at still at, at good levels. So hopefully, what if, if that can build up over time over the next next few months, then there'll be there'll be more evidence around, and the and the uh, the valuers can sort of get back to giving good valuations, or you know, ones that ones that were pre-COVID. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. And for like, you mentioned obviously doing the best case, worst case and realistic case. Um, when you're doing that, how much do you sort of like up it by if it's um, best case or decrease it by for the worst case? Is there a certain percentage or like figure that you increase it by? Um, again, I suppose it depends on the on the project itself. I think if you um my worst case i always try and look at it and say right is this am i am i still going to be happy with this or would i would i still proceed with this uh this investment or this opportunity if if i'm happy with the or if i can handle the the worst case scenario um and that's where i'll you know i'll look at the rents going down um or not achieving the rents you know building in some more voids um and then also put in a Put in a, a down valuation on the on the end on the end price as well on the GDV. Yeah, I don't really use any any specific percentages, um, but it's all it all comes down to what your what your parameters are for that investment. So, are you looking for um, do you need to flip flip the project? So that's where you are definitely worried. You, you definitely need the GDV to be as high as possible to make the most profit, um, or are you looking for a yield so is it you know the the yield is obviously your your rent as a percentage of of what you're what you've paid for the property um and there's different types of yields um yeah it's kind of it's it all depends i mean the like the recent hmo stuff that i've been doing i was looking at roi so return on investment um and so that was broadly speaking that was obviously the two the two big sort of parameters were what what rents you were going to achieve and um, and the end valuation uh, and, and and build costs as well, but I kind of knew what the build costs were going to be. So the two variables were rents and uh, rents and end value. So it's um, yeah, it all, it all depends on what you what you're looking for and and, uh, and how you measure your your success, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess it all depends on your personal requirements. Yeah. So. Um... With estate agents then and ringing them about the area, would you be ringing them about like specific sort of areas within a postcode or would it just be in the overall postcode? And what sort of questions would you be asking them about the market? Yeah, so when whenever you're trying to find a, a new area or you're looking at you're looking at an area for analysis, you um I mean, you want to start off with your strategy first. Like, what is what what strategy are you looking to do? Are you looking to do flips? Are you looking to uh, buy and hold? Um, you know, are you doing refurbs? Like, what you know, what what is it you're trying to do? And then you and then you can see if that strategy is going to work in that in that location. I mean, it obviously, always comes down to a specific property. So, 
I guess it's trying to find trying to find the properties that you want to do that strategy with. Can you do can you do some stuff first from a desktop point of view? Um, and then once you've done a little bit of research, it's a case of phoning up because you you don't want to be the problem. The problem is is that agents aren't going to be happy if you're just sort of just trying to gather information and not not give anything back. It's you know it's got to be a bit two way. And, and unless you're going in there and saying right, I'm buying I'm buying X amount of properties and this, they they can be quite reluctant to sort of just just chat endlessly about about the market. Although some you know some will. Um, so I guess it's just that building up that relationship over time. But yeah, if you if you found a if you found a property that you that you like and you want to do something with, run some numbers on it. Um, see, see, you know, you can find out what similar things are renting for in the area. You can find out um, what things are selling for in the area, and then maybe go to go to an agent and say, look, I've seen this property. It's on your it's on your books. Um, can I talk to you a little bit? You know, can I talk to you more about it? Can I find out this? You know, what you know, what do you think of my rental estimations, or um, what do you think about you know this this street compared to that street? But you you do want to find out exactly what's going on in the area, um, specifically to you know for a street because one street could be completely different to the neighbouring street, and that you know for a whole host of reasons, whether it's to do with the the type of property or um, the res, you know, the type of people that live there, or you know, or there's, there's some environmental issue. You know, you just don't, you just don't know. So there could be, um, you know, you, you do need to get pretty specific on stuff um, and try and be specific on a on an actual property as well, because every every property has its own little quirks and little differences that you need to work out. So yeah, uh, but just I suppose it's just spending the time and just speaking to as many people as possible, gather that, get try and create that information, and then over time you build that up, then you can refer back to it. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's just, like you said, utilising all that local knowledge and then building your own sort of layers. Yeah. yeah. And also, also, if you say you're going to do something, just make sure you do it, you know, with an, with an agent. Don't, uh, you know, and that, that's not about buying, buying property or selling property. It's just if you say you're going to be somewhere or you say you're going to do something or, so, you know, just, just follow it through um, because, you know, if you don't, you'll soon lose that sort of goodwill and trust from someone. Um, but it's, you know, it's easy to, it's, it's quite, it's quite hard to build, but it's easy to lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so obviously due to the like current climate of the market and everything, obviously it's a bit uncertain and many businesses are either going under or they're struggling. Um, yeah. you, built, you built your business through the uh, credit crunch. So how would you advise people to, so not only survive but potentially capitalize of what we're going through right now yeah yeah good question um i suppose with my my business the the energy business uh it's it's sort of recession proof because the the service that, w- that we offer is is needed in any type of market so you know we the trigger point for us to go going into a property is is when a property is being sold or whether it's being well sold, let or when it's built. So, yeah, you could argue that acti- when activity levels are down during a recession or when there's a when there's a property crash or or something, there's there's going to be less activity. But um, you know, landlords and property owners they still they're still trying to let their buildings out during during a recession. Um, they're still trying to sell that. They, sometimes they have to sell their buildings dur- during a recession 
you know, whether, whether it's a forced sale or they need to raise some some capital. Um, so it, I suppose finding a finding something that you can do in any market. Uh, so that's obviously it's not straightforward, but if you can find that service that, that can operate in, in any type of market, it means that you can get going in a recession. And then when the good times come, that's when you can scale up, um, do more. So, you know, I started employing people and having people all over the country. So there's, you know, there's people in different parts of the country now doing, doing building surveys and, and, and site, site visits. So we kind of, um, yeah, we've had we've had to do that slowly over time, but you you capitalise, get it get it sorted in in the recession, and then if it's recession proof, then when the good times do come, then you, you're gonna do you're gonna do well. No, yeah, definitely. And then obviously the government they've tried to work around this and try and they've tried to save as many businesses as possible by introducing schemes such as the furlough or the bounce back loans. Mm. Um, how do you think this will affect businesses? Because we see a lot of smaller slash medium-sized businesses, they'll take the bounce-back loans, but how do you think that, that will affect businesses? We're not sure if they really know the full terms and conditions with it. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, firstly, I think what the what the government has done uh, to help businesses in this, in this whole period has been fantastic from an economic point of view. Uh, the stuff that they, they acted really quickly uh, it, I mean, for, as a business owner, it gave me r- real confidence and sort of um, just p- peace of mind that I could I could make some decisions about employees. I could do what I needed to do in terms of furloughing and and all that sort of stuff, knowing that we've got breathing space to sort of settle down, concentrate on other stuff, not worry about money as much as as uh, I mean, still do worry about that side of things, you know, in the, in the medium term, but in the very initial short term, when we've got this horrendous thing happening around us. Um, we can just sort of concentrate on being safe and um, and you know looking after our, our you know our, our family. Um, so yeah, basically, I just I think uh, it, it's they, they have they have done really well. The furloughing scheme is is one side of it, which is fairly straightforward because I think you do know that that is a case of furloughing people, and then once things return, they've just changed it this I think this week. So. I think as of the first of yeah first of July, we can start bringing back people part time, and you can share the burden with the government. So they'll, they'll you know someone will work maybe part time, and then the government will top up the, the bits that they don't work. So that's going to be changing, which is really good. So we're going to be getting some staff back hopefully in July. Um, I think on things like bounce back loans um, and things like mortgage holidays as well. We, yeah, you, you, the, the bounce back loans I think is pretty clear. You know, you're not paying. You don't have to pay anything back on those for the first year, and then you've got five years of, uh, yeah, it's five years of um, capital repayment and interest. So, um, depending on how much you borrow, up to a maximum of fifty thousand pounds, then you, you're going to be you're going to be paying that back every month. Um, whether that, you know, there's arguments about what that that loan can be used for, and you know, will will your bank take a a um, a different look at you as a business if you use it for something else that you, you know you hear stories about people putting down deposits on on properties or um just taking it straight out of their business and using it for some sort of home improvement if that that's not going to i don't think that'll look be looked on very favorably at all but um if it's being used to actually support your business and and as i say bounce back then you know i, I can't see a problem with those um things like mortgage holidays i think that's that, that's there's still a lot of sort of 
Chinese whispers and um, sort of question marks uh, whether whether they are going to impact people further down the line. But yeah, I, I think the, I think the main underlying thing and the, the approach that I've taken is only only do these things if you if you really need to, and you know as long as you're doing it for a legitimate reason, then um, you know you shouldn't really get into any uh, sticky situations. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the um, the government have really played a big part in trying to save the economy as well as they can. Yeah. But, um, in terms of predictions, then, how do you see the market going on maybe four to six months to a year? How do you see the market growing or declining from then? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like just like a really sort of general sort of picture of, it, of everything. Um, uh, I, I try and look at I try and look at lots of different sources and see see what you know what people are predicting and where um, where things are going. Then try and form your own opinion. But um, there's obviously there's clearly there's clearly going to be uh, a little bit of short term pain, and that's that's whether that stems from um, are we going to have unemployment are they going to is there going to be um you know less people in jobs uh, that has a knock-on effect a knock-on impact on on what people can spend money on which if you look at the economic how economics works you know spending um sort of gets the economy going again and create you know contributes to gdp and if that if that all falls and obviously we, we it has fallen now and we're now in a recession but that has been due to covid just putting everything on pause if we come back from you know when things do open up fully um and we're allowed to get back to business as normal things hopefully will bounce back pretty quickly i, I mean i i tend to be of the opinion that hopefully things will bounce back to sort of q1 q2 of, of of next year so 2021 and which will mean that we can not continue as normal because I think things are going to be pretty different for some time, but I think there'll be a bit of short-term pain and hopefully things will be back to, back to normal. But again, it all, it all depends on, on what's going to happen with, with unemployment. There's a huge, you know, there's obviously been a huge stimulus package come from the government, from the bank, uh, from the, well, from the bank of England um, and the government have put in their, their, their measures in as well, which if, if, it, if, it, if things do flow through the economy like that, then there, there, there could be a, quite a, a surge. Um, there could be a bit of a boom um, in terms of property and just the general economy as well. There's going to be so much money um, floating around. The other major thing as well um, is the availability of debt. So if lenders are, um, as we saw at the start of COVID, uh, they drop their LTVs, their loan-to-values, um, some um, stopped doing things altogether. I think that was partly due uh, just to resources because they, you know, if they had to close down call centres, it meant that they just had to really reduce their operations. Things have started to come back. LTVs are, are starting to creep back up again. Um, there seems to be more products out there. But if banks, the difference between this recession and the, the recession in 2008 is that banks still want to lend. Last time there was a credit crunch, banks stopped lending. When banks stop lending, that has a direct impact on the property market. I don't, hopefully that's not going to happen this time, which means that if debt's available, then property can still move forward. And hopefully with everything that's going on with, with, the, with the stimulus from the Bank of England, there could actually be a surge. Um, but as we all know, with a surge, then you know, you've got a boom, then you'll have a bust. So at some point, um, you know what what goes up must come down unfortunately but 
hopefully that's a few years away yet. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely like an uncertain time, and I don't really think anyone can predict what's going to happen. So, mm. I guess, like you mentioned before, it's about if you are looking at any deals, sort of being as conservative as possible and accounting for any sort of drop. Yeah, yeah, building building your contingencies as well, and um, just uh, I think just don't expect like the, the next foreseeable future you know for the foreseeable future i.e the rest of this year and the start of next year just um just just factor that all in and you know do you do you take a step back and just get your um or do you you know do you look at if, if an opportunity comes around then if it's still if it's if it's good now then you know and and, and you can you can take the hit if, if need be on a on a on a valuation then why why not you know if if you've it's, it's all about exits on at the end of that opportunity. So you've, you've got to try and when you're looking at a property deal, what are there multiple exit strategies with that? You know, if you're trying to buy something to, to refurb to then sell on, you might get to that. You might get to that point when you're trying to sell a property and the sales market has dropped. So there's, you can't sell it, but if you've got a backup solution where you can just rent it out, um, you know, you could just and and you can you can do that, and it's not not a problem for you in terms of you, you haven't got to pay back investors or um, you don't you don't need that money back for something else. Then you know you just have to sit on it and and ride it out. The, the great the great thing about property is that you know time is time is your friend, and often you know things if you're in it for the long term, um, i.e. you're not trying to make a fast buck overnight, get rich quick. Then you know time time is your friend, and you can um, you can hopefully ride out any any sort of short term issues over, over the long term. But as I say, it comes down to your strategy and 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 what you're what you're trying to do with the property at the end of your of, of your strategy. Yeah, exactly. Property is definitely a long term game for sure. Yeah. So, um, if someone was potentially using a flip to pay investors back. Um, mm. and the market did sort of drop, how would you sort of go about that and speaking to your investors in that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I suppose that's a tricky one, isn't it? When, you know, if, you're, if you've got money tied up in a property and, you know, you're due to, you're due to uh, pay back an investor at the end of that property, uh, it's... You've got to have the you've got to have good communication, good relationships. Keep them updated on a regular basis. Um, if a problem comes up like this, then tell them. Like, be transparent. Um, I'm not every every investor, every, every agreement that you have is is probably is, is slightly different. But um, you know where you know where an investor, if, if they are investing, then hopefully they will have some understanding of, of what you're doing you, you know, you've, you've told them up front um, the main thing is that you're um, which you see a lot of people doing is guaranteeing you know if you're you can't guarantee something if you, if you say you're guaranteeing a return um, that's when you're getting in you know you're going to get yourself into into an issue you know into issues um, if you're if you can just put, you know say what you're hoping to do with this property and this this is subject to um, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's about communicating, making sure that you're, uh, you know, can they can they afford that money to be left in for an extra year? Um, can you present to them a situation? Can you, or, you know, can you give them a solution? You know, can you pay half of them back, half of it back, or um, 
or whatever. But yeah, you, I suppose you've got to look at each, each situation individually, each investor individually, keep the communication lines open. Um, and yeah, don't and just be transparent. Don't don't try and hide anything because when you when you when you hide something, it's you know it's it just looks 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 bad straight away, and you lose all trust. So yeah, definitely. Our guess is just about communication and having those difficult conversations that you may not want to have. Yeah. Yeah. So you um, mentioned to us before that you're looking at commercial to resi projects at the moment. Yeah. So. For those who don't actually know what they are, would you be able to briefly sort of outline what actually a commercial to, a commercial to residential project project is? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, just in a very basic level, it's you have a commercial property, which so commercial property, um, it could be an office, it could be uh, some some form of retail or restaurant takeaway, that type of thing. Uh, it could be an industrial unit, uh, warehousing, um, and it's where you you, you see you, you identify an opportunity to convert that property to um, to a res- to residential use. So you've got your different planning uses, and you can change. You know, you, know, you can either you can basically apply for planning permission, or you can do it through permitted development. But you can convert that that property into a different um, user class and and then do your, your building works and refurbishment works on that. Um, I suppose uh, what you what you're trying to do is you're trying to trying to find a property that is um, that, that is going to work as a as a residential um, as a residential use. There's no point finding something on a you know looking at a, a warehouse on a on an industrial state. Hey, it's not going to you're probably not going to get the the planning for it, and it's and it's just not it's just not going to work. So you're trying to you're trying to identify somewhere where um, where it would work and where that property lends itself to that conversion. Um, I guess the what, what it what it's trying to sort of sort of promote is, or certainly the government and, and local authorities are trying to promote is we've got a short we've got a housing shortage in this country huge housing shortage into the, i can't remember the last figures but it's hundreds of thousands a year that we need to build and we're not we're not meeting that standard so the idea is that um where there's an oversupply of commercial property uh, say in town centers city centers it's identifying those those buildings that there isn't a demand for them to be used as a as a commercial unit as a shop or a, or a um an office so it would actually lend itself very well to being a residential unit, and that's that's so they're they're the sort of the, the projects that you're trying to identify. Um, but yeah, in in short, it's literally where you, you can see uh, commercial property, and you think it's got potential um, or it's worth more, and you can make some more um, money out of it as a um, a residential uh, residential property. Yeah, awesome. So, in terms of actually searching for and identifying those commercial buildings what sort of tips or methods do you um have for actually sourcing those yeah i think um it's again it's a mixture of you can find commercial properties online uh different uh you know there are there are some commercial properties listed on the sort of the main the main portals uh Whenever you see a listing online, there'll always be the, the the agent details associated with it, so you can um, you can obviously phone them up. 
what it revert what I'm reverting back to here is it's again it's finding out who the local agents are in in your in your area um, and that can be a, you can do that you can find out those those agents through online online searches um, if you're walking around your your investment areas you can you'll see for sale and for let you know let, letting boards up in, in places there'll always be the agents details on those with a phone number or an email address so um, you can you can find out who these agents are and then what what you would then do is is you would it's you know it's, you're starting that relationship off with them and building that rapport with them you're telling them what you're looking for so you, you're actually giving them what's called a property uh, requirement um, so you tell them what your requirement is and that that would that would consist of you know what's your budget so I'm looking for I'm looking to buy a building uh, that, that costs X um, I'm looking to convert it into into residential or or, or keep it mixed use or, or whatever it is um, I'm looking to, to when, when, you know, when do you want to do this? Are you, are you ready to go now? Are you, are you using, is it, are you a cash buyer? Because cash buyers can be seen as, um, you know, very, uh, very attractive to, to sellers because it, it's, it cuts out all the, the issues of lending. Um, so yeah, you, you give your, you give your property requirements and with the local agents, you keep abreast of all the things that are going on online. There's different, um, you know, you can sign up to to auction. Like auctions are a good source as well, so you can sign up to the to all the auction um, catalogs. Uh, a lot a lot of it's done online now, so you can just you know you get your email with the with the release of the auction catalog. Have a flip through that, um, identify any potential opportunities. Yeah, and and it's just again mixture of desktop stuff and speaking to the speaking to the agents as well and the local the local people in in that in that area. Yeah, awesome. So, is there any like you mentioned about identifying um, properties that will actually suit a residential use. So what yeah. are some of the key fundamentals that determine whether it will be good or not for a residential? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I think the best place to start is to actually go to the end of the, of the situation, uh, uh, the project, and put yourself in the, the shoes of the person who's going to be using that property, um, you know, if you're converting, if you're converting an, an office building into some flats, you know, is this going to be a desirable place for, for someone to live in? Um, you know, there's no point trying to create something. Uh, there's no point trying to create a, a luxury, um, a luxury uh, residential unit if that market doesn't um, allow for that. It, it, you might, you, you know, you might be getting it completely wrong. So you've got to, you've had, you've got to work out what is that market. It, you know, in that that building will have a certain market, and there'll be a certain things that you can and or should and shouldn't do with that building. Um, so you've got to try and identify what that is. I mean, the one of the commercial to resi conversions I've done, it was an office building over four stories uh, on a on a high street, and the ground floor had to stay as as commercial, so that's that stayed as a shop. And then above that, uh, I thought, you know, it's a good university city, so let's um, you know, let's see if student accommodation works. So you, you know, you go and speak to the local student letting agents, and there, you know, you, you you may have looked at some plans with some architects, and you've sort of you've got your head around what you can and can't do with that property. And then you know that you can get some letting information, find out what it's going to let for, and then you can work out whether it's going to be going to be something that um, something that works. 
over what as and when you do more of these sort of things you'll you'll get you'll get a feel for whether it will you know straight away whether it will whether it will fit or not um but you all you should always refer i mean i always speak to local local experts and find out what the um you know what the market's doing does this you know this is this is my idea for the property what do you think um do you think it'll let well and they might say yeah well if you do it if you do it to the same spec as the one you did before or if you do it to this spec or here's some stuff that that another client's done um it'll let for this and then you can go back and run your numbers um and you can work out whether it's going to be feasible or not so it's just again it's just the whole process of building that information doing your due diligence and just making sure that you've covered all the covered all the boxes and then hopefully you can move forward um with you know with limited risk yeah awesome so is there any like different processes obviously you've touched on um planning and permitted development is there any different processes that you sort of need to go through when you in the pre-purchase stage on a commercial project rather than just a standard residential property uh, yeah i think i mean the whole when you look at the process of buying a property and you do you know you do you, let's just say it's a project so you're looking to do some sort of building works that, to that property I guess the whole process uh, is very similar, uh, sort of a broad level is very similar for, for any property purchase. You know, you have to, you know, are you when you buy something, you've got to do your numbers on it to make sure that the that what you're trying to do is 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 going to work as an investment and in terms of your investment requirements. Um, are you allowed to do it? So what what are the restrictions in that area? It could be in a conservation area. Um, you know, permitted development rights came. You know, there's changes to those in I think it was 2013 for commercial to residential um, but that only allows you to change the use it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that what you have in mind for that that property is going to be allowed you've got to you know you've got to pass building regulations you've you know if you're doing things to the outside of the building you've got to consider certain things like windows you can't just change windows you can't change doors um, are you changing the cladding, you know, and, or you know, putting on a new render? These are all things that you'd have to get permission for. Um, so there's all these different types of things that you have to consider. I guess when you're when you're looking at a commercial to resi project, because it's probably going to be slightly more complex, there's just more of these things to, to that you have to you know take into account at the start of the process. Whereas if you're just buying a, a, a you know a terraced house that you wanted to do some refurbishment work to. You weren't you weren't changing anything in terms of you know anything structurally, or you weren't doing any extension or a loft conversion. Then you know you you can go you can go and do that without without getting any advice if you didn't want to, or any input from anybody else. But I suppose just as you as you move up the ladder, the ladder of of complexity, it's where more factors start coming in. So it's just it's just making sure that when when you do go up to that next level, then you you're covering all your all your different aspects of the development and, and the project and making sure that you've, you know, you're, you're minimizing any risk because the last thing you want is, is to, you know, spend all this money on something and then, and then be told that you're not even, you know, allowed to do it. Um, obviously that would be, you know, the worst case scenario. So yeah, just, um, just this experience and just keep, keep learning and trying to, to work out what's, what's needed. Yeah. Awesome. So obviously there's like a lot of steps to sort of, um purchasing a property but if you could sort of give someone the first five steps to taking on a commercial a commercial to residential project what would those steps be 
So from what? Well, so from identify? Yeah. So this is like from scratch. So you want to you you've decided that you want to do commercial to resi strategy, and then you're how how do you go about doing that? Yeah. 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 So you, again, you you the initial thing is um, so you you're comfortable with your your area and you you know that you've worked out that from your research that commercial to residential um, conversions work and there is a there is a market for that um you then like the first step is like, identifying the opportunity so it's um you know going back to what I said before about finding out all the what, what properties are on the market um is there a way of accessing properties that aren't on the market so is there any sort of um you know direct direct to vendor stuff that you can do um again this is just you know as as you get more experience and get to know people in that area the, the more deals that will, will come your way and they won't always be on the market but if you if you have a if you've identified an opportunity then you then start your uh, due diligence proce- process which you want to try and streamline as, as much as possible because you, you may need to make a decision on on, per, on putting, putting an offer in on that property you know very quickly um, you, or you may have a little bit of time, so you can go away and do a bit, you know, spend a bit more time on it. But your, yeah, your due diligence process is is going to cover a whole host of things, and the, and the big one with commercial to resi is is obviously planning and what you can do with that property and what you can't do with that property. So you would be, um, you know, you want to speak to your local authority, so planning consult the planning uh, planning department in, in your local authority. Uh, it's probably a good idea to speak to a planning consultant. So there would be a, you know, private a private planning consultant that would uh, be able to um, advise you on what you're trying to do with that property and the things that you need to consider. Um, and then once so once you've done that, you can you, you're well. It's, it's probably the same. These steps are probably the same sort of level. You're at the same sort of stage. You're trying to make sure or work out whether it's feasible. So you're doing a feasibility study. Um, on the on the costings of the of the uh, the project, and then you're looking at your things like your gross development value as well, um, which includes you know your rentals and your your end values, and then and then from that um, you can then work back and and see you know you if you identify what profit you want to make on on that project, um, or you know if you're selling it or or what you want to refinance it at if you're keeping it. Um, you can then work back through all those steps, and you can see what what price you're willing to offer on that, and what's your maximum that you're willing to offer, and then obviously you, you try and go in lower than that initially, and and sort of and build up build up from there um, through the negotiation process, and then so once you then obviously then hopefully you've had your offer accepted, you may you may need to make that offer subject to planning because. Um, Obviously, you don't want to buy a property and then find out that you, that you don't get planning permission for it, or um, you know you thought you could get um, permission on it and then it's been knocked back, or there's been some sort of change in policy. So you want you want that planning permission in place really before um, before you buy it. I mean, people do buy properties um, speculatively without planning permission in place, but um, for my you know in terms of my my strategy, I'd, I'd like to have a property with planning in place, or, or at least I know I'm going to get planning planning in place before I buy a property, um, so that you can then you know crack on with the project, and, and that's when you start getting the detailed detailed drawings, 
um, and and all the layouts and everything done. So um, and then you and then you'd you know you'd, well, hopefully you then can progress with it you know quickly and, and crack on with it. Yeah, awesome. So um, you mentioned about sort of speaking to a planning consultant. With them, is it important to make sure they're from the local area, and how would you sort of determine whether they're good or not? Yeah, good question. I think you've got to have um, a planning consultant. You'd have to have a planning consultant who's familiar with the local authority. Uh, they all work slightly differently. They've all got their um, their, their local um, development frameworks, so. You've got the different policies that are in place and the different sort of what what they're trying to do with that area. Like, are they because some some uh, some boroughs and some authorities are really pro um, the development of, of residential, but they don't want it in certain areas. You've got um, Article Four directions in in certain places which prevent um, things uh, from things from going through. Um, so yeah, you definitely need a planning consultant who. Who was well well versed in the local uh, the local plan, and who knew how the local authority worked. Um, generally, there are there are national level um, planning rules and regulations as well, and you'd expect you know any planning consultant to have a grasp of that. But I think yeah, it's just, it's a combination again of doing your due diligence on on them, making sure that they do uh, have um, have the right knowledge and expertise, and ask. You know, ask them what they've recently been working on. What's what projects have they recently done? And you know, they've they've they turned around and said, "Oh, yeah, we've done a um, we did a commercial to resi conversion in the same city or the same the same uh, town, you know, last month." Or and you know, they, and they, they're happy to share details about that. Then you you'd hope that they would would be sort of a good candidate to to help you in the process. Yeah, awesome. So. Um... Obviously, it can be quite hard to sort of visualise uh, turning a commercial building into something where people are going to live. So, yeah. do you have any tips um, for people that are trying to do this and sort of visualise that space and utilise it in the best possible way? Yeah, um, again, going back to well going forward sorry to right at the end and, and seeing like put your just put yourself in the shoes of of the of the person that's going to be living there i mean you you know obviously, obviously with a commercial teresi you could be uh converting the property and then holding it to to rent out yourself for your own portfolio or you might be looking to to flip the flip it at the end and and sell sell the units for profit but in whatever um you know you've got to work out what are these properties going to be used for at the end? Are they going to be, is it going to be rental accommodation or is it going to be um, for owner occupiers? So where people actually, you know, buy to live, to, to live in those properties. Now the rent, like it's different for lots, it's different all over the country in different markets. And, um, you know, what should you, what spec should you be, should you be doing and, and like how, how much should you be spending on that property um, you've got to just work out what's right for that market. So, you know, there's no point doing, um, you, you know, there's no point spending loads of money on a property if it's if it's if, if you're not going to achieve any more rent. You're just wasting money. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking to sell that property at the end end of the process, you know, spending that extra money on the refurb 
and fits out of the property and doing higher spec, if that then achieves you more money in terms of in terms of the end, end sale value, then it's got to be worth doing. So yeah, you've just got to see, put yourself in the shoes of who's going to be living there. What is that property going to be used for? And then you can work back to see like, is that, you know, what, what sort of spec and what sort of things you should be doing with that, with that building. Yeah. So I guess you, once you've worked out the use, you can sort of then work out what return each different spec would give you essentially. Yeah. So you'd, um, you know, re- you know, rentals. You know, I mean, from it's not commercial to residential stuff, but the HMO stuff that I'm doing at the moment, I go for a really high spec because I I know that that will achieve higher rents in the area and the properties are more attractive. So you, you basically dis you're you're, you're creating an, or you're going into a, a, a different market to the to the landlord who has who has neglected his property, hasn't he hasn't spent any money on it. He's you know, the, there's no design. Um, there's, you know, no design is being considered in the property, and it's just he's just trying to get people in there and, and rent it out. Whereas I'll try and uh, you know the people that I work with on on the on the HMOs in terms of interiors and and the development side, we we really think about how the layout of the property works, how it fits together, who's going to be living living there, what their needs are, and then you can then and then if you do it to a certain standard, it's going to beat. The local competition which therefore in theory should achieve more rents but that that's not always the case because sometimes you, you can you know if you, you can provide a property and if the local population or the people who are living there aren't bothered by that or it's not that's not right for that area then then you could get it wrong but yes yeah, so it's just it's just working it out and then um working out you know what what you're spending just make sure what you're spending is worth it and it's gonna it's gonna there's a reason you gotta make sure there's a reason for doing something all the time yeah, exactly. And then um, coming towards the end of the uh, interview, if you could go back and give yourself before you start in property or just your younger self three yeah. tips, what would they be? Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, for starters, like, I'm like we, like you guys, like what you what you guys are doing now. You know, I did not sort of it wasn't even anywhere even near my, my radar um in terms of considering sort of property um and sort of doing all, i mean i know social media is is compared to sort of you know back then it wasn't around and and everything but it's it's just it's just great um that you know there's that you've picked a path i mean i i would say pick you know don't be afraid to pick a path really early on um if you're passionate about something and you really really um you know, you really want to do that, then just just do it. Follow follow it and, and go for it. I would I'd say that when I was when I was sort of uh, you know finishing school and and going to university, there was a lot of pressure just for gen- generally around. You know, that was just for for our sort of generation. A lot of people were just expected to go to you know get you get your exams, get your qualifications, go to university, get a degree, and then go and get a job and just you know, go down that, which is absolutely fine. And it works and it's worked, it works well for, for lots of people. But if you're, if you've got a burning desire to start something and do something, then don't, don't be afraid, afraid to do it. And, the, and at the end of the day, if you start it early enough, you've always got the opportunity that if it doesn't work out, you can go and do something else. So the earlier you start, the better. Um, but yeah, just, um, I suppose getting, uh, getting financially educated is a, is a massive one for me as well. Um, it's not taught in schools. 
it definitely should be there should be specific stuff um not it's it can be it's perceived by a lot of people as being boring and irrelevant i think it's starting to i think it's less so now um people are sort of realizing that that's that, that it needs to be done but you know financial education what is a mortgage you know okay i want i want to i want to live in this nice house when i you know when i leave uh, leave school right it's going to cost me this how do i do it what is a mortgage what are the mechanics of it um you know half the class might not even you know they'll you know they won't listen but if, if you if you make an impact on on a small percentage that's that's a hell of a lot better i mean i, I was really lucky because my father was a financial advisor so i picked up on on sort of these sort of things sort of when i was growing up um just through sort of mirroring or, or sort of seeing what he did but you know most people go into jobs and they don't know what a mortgage is until they decide that they want to to buy a house and i think that's i think that's terrible because you know you, until you realize that you you need to have a certain level of income you so you, you need to think you know early on start thinking about like what what job you want to do or how much money you need to earn because that's going to impact on what you can afford in terms of a mortgage you then you then need to pay back you know your monthly repayments and and so on and so forth and then you know the sooner you can get your head around that the you know then you can start looking if you want to you can start doing property investing and building your own portfolio so yeah getting started early don't be afraid to change if you've got if you you know age isn't age doesn't matter if you've got your um if you're really passionate about something and you and you research you've got your research backed up and you your knowledge knowledge base then you know you shouldn't feel um inferior to someone who's got 20 years experience because you know you've you've got the knowledge and you just you know just you know be can't be be confident in what you know and and be open about stuff so yeah i think that was more than three but anyway <laughs> yeah no yeah they're all um really good tips especially the uh financial education one that's so important especially yeah but, um and then um towards the end then is there any special mentions you'd like to give uh yeah i, I, I suppose like this well whilst we're in these weird sort of times at the moment i think uh you know just a, a general sort of I, I love everything that's going on with social media at the moment on on certainly i mean the main one i use is instagram and the sort of the community on there has been like fantastic there's been loads of um like free education out there webinars um you know everyone's still cracking on with their podcasts um and the, the, everyone's trying to be relevant and sort of um work out what's going on with everything and i think everyone's just sort of sharing sharing uh sharing the situation i mean obviously terrible times and you know big shout out to all those people who are um helping key workers and and you know all the all the, all the carers it's just amazing what they're doing um and yeah i'm you know looking forward to, to spending more time with, with the family now that we can sort of meet up in, in smaller groups and um hopefully it'll give some variety to my my kids and my wife who have been uh, been dealing with me for the last sort of however many weeks it is so yeah big shout out to them and yeah just uh yeah hopefully we, we all get through this period and and come out come out looking uh, looking good yeah definitely it looks like there is sort of things are starting to slowly get back to normal which is good to see so yeah um well yeah i think it's a great time to end it here rick um yeah. it's been amazing to have you on and yeah we've your answers have been great so yeah um 
Yeah, thank you. Cheers, guys. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Brilliant. Yeah. So, um, if people do want to, we'll link this in the show notes, but if people do want to sort of connect with you, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose the easiest one is, uh, on Instagram. So, uh, if you, uh, the handle is, uh, the underscore property underscore pig. Uh, so if you just type in the property pig, um, uh, or, or Rick, Rick Braithwaite, um, hopefully that, that'll, that'll find me on there. And that's the sort of, um, you know, send me send me a DM or um, you know, there's a connection to my email address on there as well. You can send me an email. Uh, hopefully, there's going to be. I'm actually working on some stuff at the moment with um, some new web a new website um, for for a business. So that's going to be coming up. Um, but yeah, Instagram is the easiest one. Lovely stuff. Oh well, yeah. Um, once again, thanks for coming on, and yeah. thank you thank you guys for listening today we really hope you've enjoyed it and hopefully you've taken some good valuable lessons from rick today and yeah um please make sure to leave us a review wherever you are listening and we'll see you next week for another one